Good afternoon, degenerates. Welcome to the final episode of Fireside Politics for this presidential campaign cycle. As you may recall, we set out in this show to cover the 2020 presidential election, walk you through the primaries, figure out what the fuck is going on in this country. Everything seems like it's a mess right now. Um, and you know what? That's what we set up to do. That's what we accomplished. That's what we did. We walked you through some of the biggest issues out there and some of the smaller issues like corporate social responsibility that they refused to talk about. Pete Buttigieg was teasing us from the beginning of the primary seasons, didn't mention it, never got brought up again. But you know what? 2024, we'll be back and more ready than ever to discuss these hard-hitting facts and issues. Steve, how have you enjoyed the time the past year doing this podcast? Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, getting to do this with my dear friend has been has brought me nothing but joy. And you know, you made a good point. We, you know, we set out initially to, you know, we really wanted to dig into some of the big topics. You know, you mentioned corporate social responsibility. Uh, you know, we wanted to talk, we talked through climate, we talked through lobbying, police reform. We set out to really dive into those big issues and, you know, really provide some facts, a little bit of, you know, enjoyable narrative around these somewhat, you know, bland issues. Uh, but, you know, we got sucked into the presidential cycle. You know, we, I, you know, we did want to set out and cover that, but we had grander aspirations from the get-go. We were pulled into the news following Trump, following Biden. Hell, we spent a lot of time following Bernie and Bloomberg and the whole rest of them. And, you know, I think we got a little away from our roots and, you know, from us at Fireside Politics, greater aspirations. I think that really is the name of the game and the mood for 2020. I think Joe coming in, some people have a lot of trepidations around it. They're a little nervous on the Republican side. You know, he bans the Keystone XL pipeline immediately. He starts talking about ending private uh, private prisons. Uh, I think he signed some sort of executive order to that effect last week. And it seems like he's coming in and actually trying to shake things up. And so they're pushing this narrative of, oh, Joe's controlled by the left wing, completely ignoring that he's doing exactly the things that he said he would do during the campaign. And on the other end, the Dems, honestly, dude, it feels like they're sleepwalking right now. They don't have any major issues to talk about. There was a little bit of, you know, bullshit online with this guy, Jimmy Dore, and trying to force a vote on um, health care. And their idea was, let's force a vote on Medicare for all. And any Democrat who votes no, we're going to primary the shit out of them, get them out of office and get progressives in. Completely disregarding the idea that you know, if you are in a district where it's a toss up and it's actually a close race, you know, you're not living in New York City where the overwhelming majority of people are going to support that type of policy, like in AOC's district. If you are a Democrat in another part of the country, let's say Georgia, and they force you to a vote on Medicare for all, you're kind of caught with your pants down because that hurts you in your district and takes away chances at getting reelected and making deals and the background where you're forced into a position very early on in your term. But anyway, that's a little bit of rambling. All that is to say, the country seems like it's sort of tempered out after the presidential election, but there's still a lot of things in the works. Politics, as usual, is carrying on. Oh, of course. And I mean, the, you know, the one thing you mentioned is it sounds like, you know, to some extent, you know, the Democrats, they've got the House, they've got the Senate, they've got the White House. It's they're they're consolidating, and and it almost seems to some extent, you know, they've been chasing the carrot for so long, and they finally got it. And now that they've got it, 
you know, eh, they don't really know what to do with it. I mean, I, I will say, you know, Biden, he's coming in, like you said, he's doing everything that he talked about doing. He's got, you know, he's got his agenda, what he's doing. But the party as a whole, you know, like you were saying, you know, they you know, bring in some more, you know, progressives, you know, really kind of root out those who aren't moving with the party. It's like a consolidation effort. But on the flip side, you know, you look at the Republican Party, and to some extent, they're in shambles, especially after the last three weeks. I mean, you know, you're really looking with the Capitol Hill riots and to where we are now. The Republican Party is certainly in, you know, cleanup mode. You know, they've got, you know, they were, you think about um, the, the Congresswoman Taylor Green from Georgia, this QAnon spewing uh, Congresswoman. Um, and, and, you know, at a time when the Republican Party really needs to figure out themselves, you know, are they this sort of more extreme right wing leaning party, the Ted Cruz's, the the Taylor Greens, or are they more moderate or not even moderate, but at least a little bit closer to the middle than they've been dragged over the last four years with Trump? And, and let's think, just yeah. let's just be clear that Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ted Cruz, very different people, but they do ex- represent extremes of the Republican Party. So it's which extreme do you go to or do you try to get somewhere closer in the middle and root out both those sides? Exactly. And then the question is, you know, is there a voice in the in the modern GOP for the Marjorie Taylor Greens, you know, for that extreme right? You know, Ted Cruz, yeah, fair. You know, he's p- always been he's a politician, he's Ted Cruz, and we all know his games. He's going to say one thing, he's going to do another. It's all just about politics for him and what's advantageous for his image and for securing his base. But, you know, coming out of the riots, you've got this now, this very real threat of domestic terrorism. Um, and, and granted, you could say, you know, it's it's been around for a while. We've talked about this in the past, but it's suddenly become very real. And now you have these elected officials who, you know, kind of egg, egg them on a little bit. And that's a huge, you know, at this point, uh, I don't even know. It's just it, it, an, really an, an, a chapter of American history that we haven't really seen um, you know, maybe you could say the same war time. was similar times, but yeah, yeah, in, in in recent times at the very least. Yeah, I think it, it is somewhat reminiscent of the early two thousands, late nineties, where Newt Gingrich came in and really shook things up, had a lot of inflammatory language. Where previously, I mean, Republicans were a minority in Congress and had to play ball with the Democrats on a lot of things for decades, and then Newt. Newt comes in, changes the game, and they've been running with it ever since. And he's still pretty outspoken as a character on the right. But he, I mean, I will say, he almost represents a moderate position today compared to compared to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Although he is defending her, but still, point remains. Um, the state yeah. of the country, pretty divided. So, Steve, what do you think the future of you know, these political parties is going to be as far as lessons learned going into 2024 in the next election? Man, it's a good question. And I think, I think it's going to be really finding, finding the identity. I think the last four years, you know, you look at the Democrats, their multiple attempts at taking on, you know, the White House in the 2016 election, you know, going for the Senate, you know, they, they seem coming out of this, this last cycle, they seem to have found more of their voice as a party they're more unified you know the I, I and it was interesting because almost you know before we even before biden was elected or you know had won the race 
I really think it could have gone either way. If the Republicans had won, all of a sudden you would have had this very unified party around Trump because they got him in again and they had that opportunity. And I think that really really would have driven consolidation amongst the GOP. The, the Democratic Party would have been in complete disarray. You know, we lost the last two elections. You know, where we, you know, I don't know who knows what would have happened with the Senate, but I think they would have would forced have, farther left as a response to say, they, "Hey, we tried the moderate. Now let's go full progressive." Exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that too because the narrative, the whole campaign cycle, and, and granted, maybe this is just more from the right, but you know how left the Democrats have become, and that was, you know, their, you know, with Bernie coming in and his very or not very, but, you know, far more left-leaning policies than, say, Biden initially had coming in. Uh, and it did force the Democratic, in some extent, to, you know, embrace those a bit more. You know, like you're saying, we're talking about ending, you know, private prisons, you know, the implication, uh, the uh, implementation of a more, you know, Medicare for all type system. So a lot of those more left issues are now brought towards the center. And it's interesting thinking about how the political spectrum has now shifted more towards the left you know, even from the more conservative side, you know, we're moving it a little bit closer to some of those more, I'm not going to say socialist policies, but more, you know, common fare, you know, for the, for the people. They're a little socialist, eh, whatever. Well, it, I mean, it means, it, it means something completely different today. Like it, when people exactly. mention socialism in America, it's not talking about the state sponsored socialism and state run economy um, of Eastern European countries and others. It's more of a socialism light where it's all about, you know, democracy in the workplace, unions. It's kind of like Northern Europe, but not really because Northern Europe, even though they're social democracies, are, you know, staunch <laughs> supporters of capitalism. And I'm sure if you asked a social democrat in the United States right now, um, whether they had a favorable view of capitalism or not, chances are they'd probably say they don't have a favorable view. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring up capitalism because I was just about to say, you know, we're really entering and, and maybe we've been in, I'm not sure of the history academically of this, but we're really in this post-capitalism era now, you know, moving, you know, bringing, you know, it, it's, you know, you all right, so let's go back and talk a little bit about Yang because he's, he talked about this quite a bit when he was running, you know, the, the advent of autom autom automation, you know, AI, all these things that were going to take jobs away from large amounts of people and, you know, what do you do in that state? You know, then we have a society where we have people who are not able to easily find employment. What do they do? And the idea there, you know, you get topics like, you know, universal basic income, but really the ability for people to start doing what they want and living in a world and really channeling their creativity and their innovation in ways that they wouldn't have if they were tied down to other jobs. And I think, you know, we looking at everything that's happened this last week with GameStop, you know, how the narrative went from, you know, this market manipulated, you know, Reddit forum to all of a sudden now it's, oh, you know, it's, it's the war on Wall Street. And, you know, Wall Street has been running train on, you know, everyday people, the retail investors for 30, 40 years. And now they're finally getting a taste of their own medicine, you know, democratizing the stock market. Um, you know, it, it's really moving to a more, you know, you sure you, I'll, I'll say socialist approach, but you know, we're still very much capitalism, you know, capitalist. I'm not going to take that out of there. That is the, the, you know, the root, the core of really the American economy and, and this country to, to a lot of extents. But, you know, looking to the next four years, you know, Biden's come in, he's got a very ambitious plan. He's got all those acts that he's either already signed or that he's planning on implementing within his first 100 days. And, you know, I, they take us maybe more to the left, but it's in a positive direction. You know, it's pulling, you know, you talk, we talk about Europe, what works there, healthcare. Um, you know, maybe a public prison system, just to name it's, the ones that we've we, we've. It's talked out about. in the open. Steve is sold out. 
I'm from sold big out. business to to the liberals. Jesus, no, but that's really the question. That's really the question that I think is not only going to define the next four years, but really the next, you know, century is good. You know, we're getting to this in, in inflection point where, you know, we saw with the pandemic how the upper echelons of economic society, you know, made trillions of dollars while the rest of us got burned. So the narrative has really changed. You know, it's why do these people, you know, why do the elites get to continually make money? You know, what about the rest of us? And then, you know, what role does the government play in that in that dynamic? You know, do they step in and do they provide a barrier, a comfort to everyday Americans, everyday people to live the lives that they, you know, are entitled to live? Or do we kind of go back to, you know, a lot going on in the 80s and 90s where it's kind of just rampant, you know, corporate corporations, you know, business, business, business. You know, that's the vehicle of America. You know, yeah. Joe, Joey boy's coming in here. America, you know, America <laughs> first. You know, let's make all this shit in America. He wants to um, replace the whole federal vehicle fleet with electric cars made in America. Um, so I, it, it's it's a interesting. It's just really it's really amazing just thinking how much the narrative have shifted in the last like two months. Obviously, we went from the Trump presidency to Biden, but it's just it, it's really uh, it's so black and white. Yeah, and speaking of, I guess the difference in. Well, actually, no. Since this is our last episode for a while on this podcast, I want to ask an uncomfortable question. I think that future of deciding whether or not we want a more socialized system or if it should still be, you know, limited rules, laissez-faire economics, um, emphasis on the free market. I think whether we choose one path or the other to go down, there's going to be an uncomfortable question either way, which is what are people worth? What value do you provide as a human being to other human beings. And I think if everyone asks himself that question, you're going to have an uncomfortable response. Like if you're a student in university, you're going to be like, man, you know, I guess, I guess my family likes me. I guess my friends do. But like, dude, if you don't have a job, you're just studying in university. I'm sure there are some days where you're feeling like, what the fuck am I doing for society? Absolutely goddamn nothing. And then the other way, which is if someone has a job where they feel unfulfilled, it's like, man, you know, I'm being paid based on my perceived worth and value in the workplace, but like, am I really doing anything that makes a difference? And dude, the honest truth is so many of us, like not everyone's going to have a job where they wake up in the morning and they're like, man, I'm making a huge fucking impact. I can't wait to get up. I can't wait to do this work. I feel valued. I feel whatever. Because just as we shift over time, hell, dude, 50 years from now, it could be that like car mechanics are like the messiahs, the new doctors of tomorrow. Um, but today, right now, you know, if you're a doctor, you feel very valued by society. And of course, that's going to shift over time. But there are some of those occupations, like a doctor, like a, <laughs> I almost said used car salesman, <laughs> where there's just, there's just such a disparity between the role you end up playing in society, how you should be compensated for that, what the actual value is, and whether or not our monetary system and the way we trade for things in a transaction, you know, double coincidence of wants, all that good stuff, whether that accurately represents all of the factors involved to give you a fair valuation of what your labor is worth. Yeah, and it's really the existential crisis of the modern the modern world really. You know, you know, you always, you know, a lot of people derive their value, their worth from, you know, how much money they make. You know, I got to get a good job. I got to go to, you know, a great company and I got to make a lot of money. And that's going to be fulfilling for me because then my family can, you know, survive. They can thrive. Mm -hmm. I'm living the American dream. But, you know, we're in this era now and 
maybe it's the millennial generation. I, I would be interested to do a little bit more of a dive on this, but you get so many more people who are now, they're not, they're not interested in, in, in the rat race. You know, it's, it's the existential question. You know, what, what do I want to do? What can I do that contributes value to the world, but also fulfills me as a person? You know, almost taking away the whole monetary compensation. And, you know, when you think about, you know, the future of, of the world of America, you know, and, and maybe it's more socialist, but it's really the, the mechanisms to, to provide a level of comfort for people to continue to have those conversations and not be, to not be constrained, constrained to saying, okay, I can't do this because there's no, you know, monetary value to me. And I can't survive if I do this, which is what I want to do. But instead, you know, I'm, I decent at math. So I'm going to go ahead and become, I don't know, a fucking math teacher and I'm going to get, you know, tenure and I'm going to get a decent life. I'll be able to survive, but not fulfilling to me. I guess then the argument is, you know, you're still providing value. Isn't that enough? But, you know, we're really in an age where, and maybe it's, it's not narcissistic, I'll say, but it's really about the individual and really individual wants. And I think the role of the state, as we've been seeing, as the narrative has been going, is creating a cushion, being able to enable people to make those decisions without thinking of the financial implications. Yeah. It's like you're taking the social safety net and turning it into a trampoline, where if someone hits bottom, there's some sort of uh, like if you're familiar with agile in the IT world. Oh God! There's a minimum viable product, which is what is what is the minimum standard of living for a society, and that's usually the safety net and why that's in place: food stamps, housing assistance, the rest of it. Um, but I think you know, as automation increases, like Yang was saying, if more people are put out of work and at a faster pace, then new jobs come about. Um, if you're laid off for, you know, two years and can't find work, but eventually your skills are going to, you know, be relevant to get in the marketplace and you'll be compensated for that. What are you doing for those two years and how do we make it so that, um, our economy can be a little bit more dynamic as a bunch of layoffs are coming? Yeah, anyway, exactly. that's, I'm, that's probably a stupid comment in any no. case. What is, dude, what is the future of our society? This is our closing episode. What is the fate of the people, the parties, the country? People are going on TV. They're saying, oh, impeach. Oh my God, what is it? Marjorie Taylor Greene again. Her first thing, she gets in the Congress. I think she accosted some, you know, school, school child who had survived um, an active shooting event and said, oh, this wasn't real, all the rest of it. How can you be in here lobbying? Why is it all right for you to meet with members of Congress, all the rest of it? Just saying really vile stuff. And it's like you have that on the one end. You have other people online who think that Nancy Pelosi eats babies and sucks their blood and all of the rest of it. And I wish that was like a fringe, strange thing. And thankfully, it still is. Um, but there's so many weird fucking conspiracy theories going on and alternate realities that people are living in where i don't know man i it's a weird time in our history when you know the outgoing president still after losing you know you could get it while there was still like some random chance of him getting a recount and uh trying to suppress whatever vote to get back into office or even if there was a legitimate issue with the election um but after everyone investigated it thoroughly debunked his claim that he was still the president, like some sort of third world dictator, authoritarian leader, strongman. Even after all that shit happens, he gets tossed out of office. Still, he's trying to say, oh, no, I never would have lost the election. I'm way better than Joe Biden. There's no way he would have gotten that many votes. It's all rigged. And he's still pulling that shit. And it's like, dude, 
just you got to get a grip at some point because what you're doing is fundamentally damaging our society and there's a there's a point of personal responsibility where i wish he would just sack up and take the hit and admit yeah i lost i could have run a better campaign you know i guess joe won but we'll fucking crush him in 2024 i wish he framed it that way but instead he's just wah 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 you know the fucking referees are rigged everyone coming into this had it out for me and um i really won the voice of the people was stifled all the rest of it when it's complete bullshit and he should just grow up yeah no i mean no it's (laughs) that's the closing thought it's the closing thought and it's true i mean it's I think if anything, it's more evidence of evident of, of of the fragmented society that we're living in. You know, we're at this age where you take all right, take all the future shit out, automation, AI. You know, it, it, we live in a world where you can visibly see. I mean, the two bases believe so, you know, in, inherently in in the core fundamentals behind behind those parties, and they're you know unwilling to compromise. And we've gotten away from a society where we're willing to have open debate, and you know change our opinions and i think some of it comes from fundamentally you know you know if you're struggling if you're looking at america if you're looking at the politicians in office and saying hey you know i'm not really getting any benefit from them being in in, in power you know what what gives and then you get someone like trump who comes and make america great again really playing to you you are willing to put your faith in him to do the right thing now whether or not he actually did that in the 4 years i think you know that's up for debate but it's still that idea that you have someone rooted for them and it, it i think it then it does come back though to that level of of comfort you know when people are struggling they're willing to put their beliefs in maybe more polarizing figures you know take up you know trying to justify why they're in these situations you know thinking of these crazy you know conspiracy theories um pelosi eating babies and it's it's just really I think evident of of the way that the world has gone and the rapid, really the rapid progression for the last 100 years, um, you know, industrially, economically, where we are today. And I think a lot of that personally will change with, you know, providing people those basic, that, that basic security blanket to really, you know, feel comfortable where they don't need to give into these crazy ideals, where they can start to actually engage a bit more with, you know, with a more open dialogue. But you know, I think let's talk a little bit more about the future, Nick, but in the lens of what we're doing here. And I think we touched on a lot of the issues that, you know, we, we will be talking about more, you know, universal basic income, the future of America, you know, how did someone like Trump get into office? You know, the big, the big topics that we did seek out to do, but then got sucked into the news cycle. And, you know, we mentioned this before, but we have a fantastic new podcast coming called Don't Call Me Buddy. It's got amazing pod art, great guests, witty narrative. If you thought we were witty before in fireside politics, wait till you see Don't Call Me Buddy. Uh, there is no podcast rating that can fit this. It's all over the place. And Nick, I'm excited to uh, to let the, let the world let the world see it. I'm really excited too. We've got some excellent topics lined up. Uh, we encourage you to check out the new show. And hey, if you're interested, if you've been an OG following us this whole time, uh, maybe we'll have a few of you on if you'd like to get involved. So uh, feel absolutely, free to e- feel free to email us. Uh, we'll put our contact info in the description, as well as the name of the new podcast. Don't call me buddy. Uh, thank you so much for listening the past year. I uh, hope you all have a wonderful 2021, and we'll talk to you soon or on this channel with the next presidential election.